0: The Golden Homers are brought to you by Generations Barbershop, a Notre Dame-themed barbershop that has been keeping Irish fans looking good since 1930. Brent and Gill are located on Lincoln Way East in Mishawaka, Indiana. Open 8 to 5 and by appointment, call or text Brent at 574-250-0622. That's 574-250-0622.
1: Hey, guys. Nathan here from the Golden Homers podcast. When I'm cooking dinner or grilling on the weekends, I want to use what great chefs use in their steakhouses, exceptional quality meats. Meetup Vegas is my hookup, meetupvegas.com. That's M-E-A-T, meetupvegas.com. Their specialty meat packs come with veal cutlet, pork chops, and extra meaty pork baby back ribs or prime rib. And you already know meetupvegas.com is known for its unreal steaks. All the meat is individually vacuum sealed. To maintain absolute freshness for 200 plus days in your freezer and it's cheaper than you think check it out now at meetupvegas.com and use code irish10 at checkout to receive ten dollars off your first order
0: it is over and the irish have knocked off number one clemson second goal for the irish after the timeout Williams, right to the right side powers to the end zone low snap picked it up takes an end zone shot and finding but kimberly goes up and gets it and Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers Podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach.
1: What's going on, Irish fans? We are back. You're listening to the Golden Homers Podcast. Uh, myself and Mason are with you here today to discuss, uh, Was it, Notre Dame, Ohio State this past Saturday. 21 to 10 loss in Columbus, uh, I think it was a Notre Dame had a, what, 10-7 lead with about 30 seconds left, and the third kind of let it get away from them. Defense played pretty stout all day long, or all night long, and then towards the end of that game, just couldn't really hold up, you know, maybe a superior opponent, or at least a superior offensive um, from a talent standpoint opponent. And Ohio State was kind of able to make some plays towards the end of the game when they when they needed to. And, um, you know, here we are 21 to 10. There's been a lot of <laughs> before, I guess, before we get really into it. Um, some of the, some of this talk about Tommy Reese specifically is what's gotten on my nerves, I guess, as a, as a fan and an analyst a little bit. Um, and, and I think what it really comes down to is I think as fans, we get very emotional when it comes to to things like this and, coaching is always the first thing to blame and obviously he played a role in the performance there's no doubt about that he's not only the offensive coordinator but he's recruited a lot of the kids and if there's you know deficiencies there then obviously that's that he's to blame for some of that but uh I don't know man it just seems like kids turn or or fans turn on on coaches very quickly um, and uh, Mason, obviously welcome in <laughs> as well uh, before I introduced you, I guess, but uh, what are maybe just some of your quick thoughts on, on the game overall? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think that we as like a whole and, you know, people that are, you know, paid to, to cover the teams, cover Notre Dame and Ohio State, you know, going into the game, you know, people were saying that Ohio State could, you know, just roll over and score 35, and I think we all just don't know quite as much as we think we do. Um, buying into a lot of not necessarily offseason hype because I do think Ohio State is very legit. I think Notre Dame is too, but, you know, we think we know exactly how something is going to go and we really don't. So, um, no, you know, Notre Dame allowed only 21 points. That last touchdown was the backbreaker. You can't go into a game, you know, only scoring 10 and expecting to win, but, um, you know, if you told me pregame Notre Dame had only allowed 21, I would feel pretty good about it. So the offense needs to improve, but I feel very good about the defensive performance. You know, there's a couple ticky-tack holds and that kind of thing, or you know, some personal fouls. But yeah, man, you'll have that, I guess. So um, I was overall really impressed with how the defense played. Uh, First game for Al Golden, I liked, you know, what he did with the defense, considering this is supposed to be, you know, the most high-powered offense that the world's ever seen. So um, not that I don't think it's legit, but. you know, Stroud was kind of not held in check necessarily, but he didn't have this otherworldly performance like everybody was saying he was going to. And whether that's down to Smith and Jigwa not being at 100% or whatever, I mean, if he can't take a shot, then so be it. So um, it wasn't a dirty shot that Smith and Jigwa took on the sideline, but, uh, you know, he wasn't necessarily 100% for a lot of that game. But it's not like they don't have seven five-stars on the bench waiting to come in. So I don't feel bad about that. Um, as far as the game goes, you know, I was impressed overall with the performance. There's little things. That, uh, that could have been adjusted, could have been better. But for being the first game, really what I consider to be Marcus Freeman's tenure, new defensive coordinator, new quarterback, um, I, I left the game, you know, a little bit disappointed because I, for a second, I talked myself into Notre Dame having a legitimate chance to win, which they really did. Um, but, you know, looking back watching it again, I'm happy with the performance and overall, I think it went better than anybody could have really realistically anticipated.
1: And I know you had a chance. I think you did it yesterday. You rewatched the game. Yeah, um, I've actually I've had an opportunity a little bit today to get through some of it, but I haven't gotten through all of it. What were maybe some of your takeaways watching it live versus now? And how is that, Has your opinion changed on anything or just like what maybe what did you see differently rewatching it versus watching it live?
0: Yeah, I think there's just little things that like, you know, when you're watching live, you just watch the ball and, you know, you want to see exactly, you know, what happens. Naturally, your eyes follow the ball. So I was able to, you know, slow down and watch, uh, watch things in slow motion, see why things didn't work. Like there were play calls I liked that that Reese had. And of course, the camera angle that we have isn't always the greatest. Um, But there were plays that looked like they could work and, you know, they didn't for whatever reason. I tweeted about it earlier that, you know, just because a play doesn't work doesn't mean it was a bad play call. It just could have been, you know, bad execution one way or another. Uh, Greg Flamon put out a good video too, um, a, a play that I meant to highlight and a tweet and I didn't. But uh, a play that you know, to Lorenzo Styles or should have been to um, from Buckner and there was a, a missed linebacker blitz up the middle and, you know, whether that's estimate to pick that up or whether that's a, you know, deficiency from the offensive line, whatever, little things like that. I was able to see like, Why wasn't the offense able to get going? And something I noticed, I was frustrated with Reese like during the live game I was, but you start to look at where Notre Dame's drive started. Almost every single one inside the 20, like you're asking, Ohio State has a legit defense. You're asking Notre Dame to go like 80 yards to score points. And that's not easy to do. Not not, not that I'm saying that Reese should get a pass, but you know, that's not as easy as people make it seem like or just, hey, why don't we throw the ball downfield more? Don't you think Reese would like to do that? You know what I mean? And there, sure, there was opportunities for it, but you don't just want to put your freshman quarterback in a, in a bad position to, you know, potentially throw a pick. So, um, yeah, little things that I noticed, being able to slow it down and not just looking towards the next play, you know, getting emotional, you know, in the moment. So, uh, I probably will watch it the third time, to be honest, uh, again this week. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that's about it.
1: I think another kind of important note is, and, and you sort of touched on it, but I felt like Reese's game plan was ball control and, and run. And I thought, you know, he probably thought going in that they were going to be able to do that with the offensive line. And it's hard to do that. Not only like what you said when you're backed up, um, it's hard to have a ball control run run offense when you have to go 85 yards versus, you know, 45 yards. And, and it, they didn't really have a lot of opportunities on Saturday night to have a short field. And, but then the other thing comes with the offensive line, the interior offensive line, I think specifically played poorly. Um, I thought that Josh Lug got pushed around. Um, Corral didn't have his best game. Um, I think he's going to be better. I actually ironically thought Christoph was the best out of the three um, in rewatching at least some of the stuff that I rewatched. And, you know, and he obviously filled in for Patterson, but it's, it's, and I think what, one thing we don't really realize sometimes is as fans when we're watching the game and like again we get to the emotion emotion part of it is it's not so you can't just snap your fingers and and readjust your game plan i mean yes like the great coaches the best coaches like obviously like in-game adjustments are huge um but we also know that that's not always going to be Again, you just can't snap your fingers and expect everything to be perfect because you because you adjust a little bit or, you know, maybe you can adjust because of the personnel and and different things like that. You sort of touched on that with, you know, the receiving core and and all that. So, you know, obviously, once I kind of dive into the film a little bit more and, you know, I also want to see how the team's going to do moving forward, like how are they going to perform against Marshall, Cal, North Carolina. BYU you know until they get to that Clemson game specifically like how is this offense going to evolve and and then I want to be able to have like more of a fair discussion about the the I guess the conversation regarding Tommy Reese because specifically I think he's a guy that over the last couple years has shown that with some deficiencies on offense he's been a creative play caller he's he's put Notre Dame in good positions to to win games against first and foremost, the opponents that they need to beat. And, and this isn't a game that you went into expecting like, oh, my God, Notre Dame is going to win this game. Notre Dame is going to be able to score 35, like you said. Like, it would have been nice I, if you were – if you would have told me 21 to 10, I would have – you know, I would have said no. Or if you would have told me, like you said, if Notre Dame held them to 21 points, I would have thought Notre Dame probably would have won the game because they would have scored in the 20s as well. But – I think the Ohio state defense is better than people thought, or at least some people thought, I mean, they obviously have talent overall, but, and, you know, I think people thought that that might be something that sort of progressed as the season went on. And then I think the other, the other thing is their offensive line was better than people thought. And that held that was able to kind of eliminate the pass rush for, for Notre Dame to a certain extent. And you touched on it a little bit when you said that, you know, there were some, maybe some holding calls in there and I tweeted about that and, you know I'm sure that there were also some holding calls and some penalties against Notre Dame that weren't called either so um it, it goes both ways um but I but I did go I did come out of the game especially re-watching it a little bit feeling a little bit better about some of the weaknesses like I know T- Pete Sampson specifically has been harping on the defensive line like hey this what, what's going to go on I mean I listened to the shamrock I listened to part of Irish Illustrated and that was his biggest takeaways that the Notre Dame defensive line wasn't effective and I honestly think it was quite the opposite. Uh, I do think that Jason Adam Lola was held in check fairly well against Donovan Jackson. I give Donovan Jackson um, a, a lot of credit. And I think overall Paris Johnson w- was great against Foskey, but I, I, I can throw in a few plays in there where I thought Foskey actually played you know pretty well um, on that zero blitz. Foskey almost got to Stroud and he beat Paris Johnson pretty easily on that play. Um, and if they never zero blitzed or if they had Bracey in the game, maybe it looks differently. Um, and then I thought Riley Mills, I think, was held a few times and, and got into the backfield. So I, I'm not too dis, distraught over the over the defensive line, and then obviously the defense as a whole played well. But let's get into some strength and weaknesses. Um, co- going into this game, coming out of this game, Mason, what, what do you think, like, what do you, what do you feel good about right now when, when you're Notre Dame, like position player-wise, position group-wise, et cetera, coaching-wise?
0: Something I didn't expect to say was I feel good about the secondary. Actually, um, I thought there was potential that they get torched, and they they really didn't. Um, no, nothing crazy happened. You know, there was no like broken play, ninety yard touchdown, anything like that, which I thought was very possible. Uh, you can't be mad at. It was Mickey that got burnt on that touchdown, I believe, where Joseph uh, ended up coming up from the safety spot. And I, I mean, look, hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe Joseph shouldn't have done that, but regardless, um, I was impressed with what I saw from Mickey and Morrison. Um, I didn't anticipate them both playing. I I, I figured Mickey would, but uh, you know, we've been hearing good things about Morrison. I didn't necessarily think he would get the amount of snaps that he did, but I was impressed with what he did, you know, that this soon in his career. You know, for those who don't know, Benjamin Morrison's a, a freshman. He's only, he wasn't even an early enrollee. He's only been at Notre Dame for, you know, a couple weeks. So for him to be able to go into Ohio Stadium and do something like that was impressive. So you start to think of the future, I had a tweet blow up, the you know, about the future of the Notre Dame secondary, specifically the corner position um, you know, with Christian Gray coming in, Micah Bell coming in and then Morrison and Mickey proving themselves early. I think it could potentially down the road be a strength for Notre Dame rather than the weakness it's been for a long, long time. So uh, you know, I really like where that room is heading, where it's going. You know, you hope Mickey stays around because I credit him really heavily with the improvement, in, not only in terms of recruiting, but the on field play. So that's the one that sticks out to me. Yeah, and
1: echoing some of your comments, just on the secondary as a whole, maybe this is a hot take, and certainly, a, certainly a take that is premature to an extent. But it wouldn't surprise me if Morrison's the uh, a first round pick with the like with what what I've seen. Like we've, you we, said we've heard it in camp. He's played well. Um, I think he's got the you know the size and the. And, and the, like the speed, like he's very twitchy. I, I feel like uh, the, the hips, he mirrors receivers very well. Um, and, and that is something that as a true freshman, even good true freshman, it's hard to just sit there and assume that they're going to be great at that. So um, great things out of him. I think he's actually probably surpassed Mickey on the depth chart to an extent. I know they play somewhat different positions. You know, Morrison's probably more of an outside guy. Mickey's kind of probably be more of a slot guy down the line. But right now, I think the staff honestly trusts Morrison more. Um, and, that, and that says a lot because I think that they trust Mickey a lot. And, um, you know, obviously, I know Cam Hart had the one series where he got beat a few times, got beat for the touchdown. But he's going to be fine, especially when he gets back and fully healthy. I, I still think there might be some, some lingering hamstring issues there that he was dealing with a couple weeks back. And, and honestly, Clarence Lewis played a, played a pretty good game. There was the one play where I thought if he got his head around, he might have been a pick. But, and I, and I want to actually, that's one play I haven't gotten to yet when i rewatching. I want to rewatch that play specifically, but it looked like if he just kind of, if he just turned around and looked for the football, it could have been a pick six. Um, and, you know, you'd love to see that, you know, from some guys like just kind of have that, uh, that ball hawking mentality. But overall, I thought he was, I guess, quote unquote, sticky in coverage. <laughs> I know it's like a scouting term people like to use. And, you know, and then the safeties, I mean, Brandon Joseph, I mean, he came out with fucking fire, excuse my language, but he came out with, he came out like, you know, that hit on Jackson Smith and Jigbo, like you said, very clean. Like you, you see the replay. I know some people have been trying to say that he had forcible contact to the head. I don't see that at all. And he led with his shoulder more than anything anyway. And, and Jack, Jackson Smith and Jigbo was also sort of already sideways at the time that he hit him. Um, but no, he came in with, uh, (laughs) with this idea to, to hunt. And I think he did that specifically early on. And then I think the other thing is, is like, when did we hear DJ Brown or Houston Griffith's name? Like probably never. And that's usually something when Notre Dame secondary is bad, we're accustomed to seeing a missed tackle out of one of those guys or a a beaten coverage on one of those guys. And, And then lastly, and one guy we haven't gotten to, but I thought Bracey was maybe their best player. Uh, on saturday night i mean at least on on the defensive side of the ball i mean arguably i mean when he came out of the game they picked on mickey on the one time mickey was in the slot and he got beat obviously zero coverage i'm not going to expect that kind of player to necessarily win that but you know there might be an argument to be made that if bracy didn't get hurt the previous play notre dame runs that exact same play and bracy's able to be you know like again stickier in coverage and maybe that that pass isn't completed, or maybe CJ Stride has to go to a second or third, third read. So um that that obviously played a role. So overall, I mean there's not a lot of things you can say about the secondary that that are poor. Um like I mentioned Cam Hart maybe had that one bad series vote and that you really didn't hear about it, hear his name at all during that game. Um and then I also I want to get your take on Buckner. Um Mason, I know Going into the game, specifically other fans, opposing fans or just the media in general, sort of, you know, not that they thought he sucked per se, but there wasn't like a confidence around him or, uh, you know, that no one really felt that he was going to be able to, I guess, quote unquote, win the game for Notre Dame. But in in an environment in his first career start as a sophomore, you know, I think he had half the half the dropbacks that he had all of last year. Um, I think he threw the ball 35 times last year and he threw the ball 18 times this in this game. And I think we're going to continue to see that rise. Um, but I thought the moment wasn't too big for him. <laughs> Ironically enough. I mean, I think it was Samson, Pete Samson said this, he goes, not only was it a huge environment, but look at the sidelines, look at the uh, the celebrities that were there. You had LeBron James who might be the greatest, you know, a- athlete of our generation and he's on the sidelines booing, booing you, and, you, and it's, you don't seem flustered. And, you know, and that's kind of, you know, kind of funny, I guess, all around. But it just adds to the game overall. I mean, you, you see the crowd. You see the 65 commits that are on their sideline, including a kid in, like, five-star Keon Keely, who was committed to your, to your school that you're playing for, you know, three weeks ago. Um, and now he's essentially cheering for Ohio state on their sideline. I mean, there was a lot of adversity that a kid like that in his first start was facing and, you know, it wasn't his, it wasn't like greatest performance out of him. He went 10 for 18, but started eight for eight. I think he finished two for 10 or whatever it was, you know, overall, I mean, I think he had a, they looked like a kid that the moment wasn't too big for him. And that's what I really kind of keep going back to outside of the stats overall.
0: Yeah, he didn't seem phased. Eight for eight was the number I was going to throw out as you know his start, and um, you know I think they probably made some adjustments to Buckner and you know what they were seeing him do. People that you know a lot more about football than I do, so I couldn't really break that down for you exactly what what Jim Knowles and the offense or the Ohio State uh, defense saw in Buckner. But clearly there were some adjustments made to make him not as effective. But yeah, that start was huge, and yeah, not phased at all. He didn't he didn't strike me as somebody that was worried about. All you know, the fanfare around him, or you know, all the booing, whatever he wasn't concerned. You know, this is not even close to the best game Buckner is going to have at Notre Dame. But the main thing that stood out to me was no turnovers, he didn't turn the ball over, and you, you'd you almost pencil him down for one or two pregame, right? With the what Notre Dame needed him to do, whether it's him running out and you know, he doesn't have the ball all tucked away, you know, a fumble, or they try to. Get aggressive and throw one downfield or something like that, and it gets picked off. With you know how good the Ohio State secondary was going to be, and you know he's not the most accurate quarterback in the country. So those are the two things that really stood out to me, you know, about Buckner. I think it was a good performance, not nearly the best we'll see. Um, plenty of room to grow, but the, yeah, the main thing you said it was he wasn't phased.
1: And I, and I go, I keep going back to a Greg. Um, Flawong tweet as well. And I think he tweeted it out yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. And it was about the drop back and pressure percentage. I think it was last year against Florida State. So we're just talking about openers. Um, Cone was pressured, I think on like 23% or something like that of his drop backs. And remember last year, that was a big, that was a big thing. We thought Cone got sacked way too often. I think it was Buckner got pressured on almost double the amount of, or at least in like the the high thirties percentage snaps, which is just incredibly high. And that's where like that whole, like not being phased kind of came into, came into it. Like he, he, he stuck in there. He made some decent throws while getting hit first play of the game, you know, included, that's a perfect example Threw a good ball to Lorenzo styles, ended up being like a 50 yard play and he got hit right when he threw um, the one play that you mentioned, I think that was another Greg Flamon thing, like that he great ball to Lorenzo Styles, And you could probably argue like it was Lorenzo Styles' fault that that ball wasn't completed for a touchdown. Instead, it was overthrown by three yards or four yards. When you really look at the play, it looked like, you know, and Greg kind of highlighted this. So definitely go check out his profile. He's great at this kind of stuff. He highlighted that Styles didn't really get into his acceleration point quickly enough. And so where Tyler thought that ball was going to be or where Lorenzo was going to be, he wasn't. And so he pretty, pretty much threw it to the spot. He was supposed to while getting, while getting hit. So moment wasn't too big. I don't want to kind of stay on that too much. Um, I mean, overall, I think we both agree. The defense played fairly well um, holding specifically holding a a potent offense like that to 21 points and the offense needs to be better Um, specifically at the wide receiver position and the offensive line spots, and um, but uh, so, I mean, I guess we can talk about some negatives. We we obviously mentioned the offensive line um, outside of the offensive line or obviously touch on the offensive line as well. But is there anything else that maybe sticks out to you from a, from a negative standpoint overall?
0: Um, you know, I can, I can see how the defensive line was effective and maybe we didn't have that big play, like the big sack or whatever to make me feel differently. But I, I guess from, from what I was seeing from Foskey, it wasn't, hey, you're a surefire first-round pick. I didn't get that feeling from him in the game, we, where you have that big impact, whether it's a strip sack, and I know he was only a second away from getting to Stroud the one time, but be that one second faster if you're really a dude like that. And it's not that I don't believe in him, but we've heard all this fanfare, all this you know commotion about how good the Foskey are going to be, and they weren't good enough. You know, and maybe I'm being hard on because it's, you know, that is the one or two best team in the country, but I need I need better there. I need you to make an impact play if you're really a dude like that. So um, I think they they are and maybe they shouldn't show it or they will be. Uh, I do think Fosky's a tremendous talent, but I needed him to do more. And I understand it's a really difficult situation, but I, I needed more there.
1: Well, and we said going into the game that we,
0: Notre Dame, or at least I I
1: mentioned this, and I think you agreed with me, like when, in our keys to a Notre Dame victory is that we needed dudes to be dudes. And that brings up a good point is like, yeah, it wasn't Foskey's best game. Maybe he got held a few times, you know, was it his worst game? Probably not. You know, he, he went up against, I think a legitimate left tackle in the NFL, um, at some point and, you know, but like, you would have liked to see him win a few of those battles. And and he didn't like you said be a be a second quicker, fight through the hold and you know or maybe a couple of those times where you got Stroud outside the pocket and he kind of made a good throw like yeah Stroud deserves some credit but maybe you need to do a better job of getting in there, again I mean that's not necessarily like coaching one hundred and one <laughs> that we're kind of giving you guys I know it's sort of a bland take, but but like yeah I mean I mean how many of Notre Dame's dudes were really dudes on on Saturday night and it was still a one possession game with five minutes left. I would argue that they didn't have any dudes, to be completely honest. I mean, I guess Michael Mayer played well, but he didn't
0: really have an opportunity to get too many,
1: like, chances. Yeah, I wanted
0: to touch on that. That I forgot I was going to say this earlier. At, upon That was something else I, upon rewatching. That one that he caught, it was like he jumped, like, over the corner to get it, and it was running across the middle of the field and fumbled. If he was able to cut that up like he does 99% of the time, I, that's, like, another 30 yards and, you know, a broken tackle, potentially a touchdown. That's another thing I, I noticed upon rewatching. Like That fumble was such a weird thing, but I really do think that if he was able to cut that up, he's not the fastest dude in the world, but he's not easy to take down in the open field either. That could have been such a crazy play. I mean, what are the odds?
1: Right, right. So, I mean, it really came down to that. I mean, and it, with the offensive line, like I don't think the tackles played poorly. I think the interior offensive line was the part that played poorly overall. But, you know, there. I mean, you could have seen better out of Fisher and Alt who we think are going to be you know, first round picks down the line. So like, were they dudes? Probably not. Um, You know, maybe the one guy we could throw in there is Brandon Joseph, like a guy that came in and you were like, Hey, this guy needs to be a dude. And he was, Um, you know, he obviously, like I said earlier, he was sort of head hunting (laughs) early on. He was, he was pumped up and into that game. And I don't mean head hunting in a negative way. He was just fired up and was making plays all over the field to start that game. But it, it, the The funny thing is is like you see that first play that 50 yard that 50 yard play to Lorenzo Styles, and I think we were all like oh crap this is gonna be awesome you know like maybe they don't score on that drive they ended up getting three points whatever but I was like okay I was pretty confident in what the offense was gonna do and then it just kind of got stale and the, a lot of factors played in that that we've already gotten into but but yeah I mean I think that that's really the true negative out there was was the idea that the offensive line and the defensive line wasn't able to do enough in that game. Um, Cause I also think, you know, and I know others have touched on this, but going into the game, if you would have said that N- Notre Dame would have had an even turnover, you know, ratio with Ohio state, I would have been like, okay, that's a win. Not a win necessarily on the field, but a win in regards to keeping it close. But we never had that one play that maybe wins you the game on defense or offense. You didn't have the explosive play to Lorenzo styles for a touchdown or Lenzi for a touchdown or Chris Tyree running it for 57 yards or something like that for a touchdown. And then on defense, when you're up 10 to seven and yes, you're playing well, you never had that like sack fumble out of Foskey or the, the tip with an interception, you know what I mean? So there wasn't like that, that great play that, you know, and I think me me and you admit that Notre Dame is probably a worse team than Ohio State, specifically from a talent standpoint Um, overall. You need to have that one play. And, you know, you saw it a lot when Kyle Hamilton was at Notre Dame. There was always like that one play with him. Right. That he would make in a game. And we didn't see that on Saturday night, that that, that one huge play that just kind of changes the game.
0: Well, yeah, in pregame, I was thinking about – you know, when, when Notre Dame took down Clemson, they were an underdog in that, obviously. And you had that JOK, the the strip, you know, and then takes into the end zone. You had the Kyron Williams 90 what, or 80-yard touchdown, whatever that was. These explosive plays, and Notre Dame still went an overtime with Clemson. Like, you need something like that when you're a dog. And you need, you know, just these, like, explosive plays like everybody does. But Notre Dame seems to have less of them. And, you know, whether that's on that first play, styles is able to beat everybody and get the touchdown or, you know, a punt return, a kick return. Something I wasn't super pumped about uh, was the lack of return game at all. Um, You know, the first kick return of the game was super weak from Tyree. And that's not all his fault, but, uh, you know, he got like 15 yards or something. already put your offense in a hole. I don't think Joseph even tried to return a punt. You know, maybe that was the better option. I'm not a specialist on that, but I would like to see him at least try and make an explosive play. Why not?
1: Yeah, I thought the kickoff coverage was was mediocre at best. I mean, I, it wasn't even that first play. That wasn't even that first kickoff. I mean, they had the same thing happen, you know, a couple other times. And like you said, I mean, there was at least one time with Joseph where he, it seemed like he had some room to run. And we you know we talk a lot about how Notre Dame hat, was backed up a lot, you know, with it like 20 and 20, within the 20 yard line of their, of their own 20 yard line, I should say. That was a time where if Joseph doesn't, you know, if if Joseph decides to to run it out, he probably picks up another 10 yards, and I think that's an important thing. I mean, you don't think 10 yards is that important, like maybe in the time, but it is. I mean, I mean, it's it's the difference between going you know 65 yards instead of 75 yards to to go win it, you know, to go score, and and sometimes that's huge. So, and it certainly puts a little bit less pressure on the offensive line and the quarterback, the receivers, everybody on the offense, the offense coordinator Tommy Reese, just as an example, to. You know, to do something uh, with, with that drive versus trying to be conservative and, and win the field position battle, which, you know, overall, I think, at least from a punt standpoint, Notre Dame did a pretty good job. And even though they lost, I think the, the, uh, the battle overall when it came to field position, you know, there were some times where the offense sort of bailed out the special teams in that regard, or, or the punt game bailed out the other areas of special teams. Um, and and made it to where Ohio State wasn't just given a short field all game.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm with you. I, I, I think it's going to improve. I'm a believer in Brian Mason. I think there's going to be some explosive plays, where that's a block kick. That's another thing I would like to see. Um, easier said than done. It's not like you can just say, hey, let's go block the kick and do it. But, you know, something from who is considered to be one of the better special teams coordinators in the country, um, you know, give us, give us something to, you know, if you're you're behind in talent Ohio State's favored they have the Heisman favorite quarterback you're at their place you got to have some sort of play to, to flip the script and sometimes special teams is exactly that so uh, I do think we'll see those you know those things kind of happen um, eventually with Brian Mason because you know wasn't what's the stat Cincinnati had like seven block kicks last year or something like that yeah I
1: think it was something
0: like that speaking of block kick shout out Florida State but um yeah, I think we 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 will have some with with Brian Mason. Those are always exciting plays. Just wasn't in this game, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. I want to close with one more thing, and we talked about this on our spaces, and it's kind of why, like, I somewhat regret going on a space before we do our podcast, but it is what it is. I mentioned, you know, I think it was yesterday about the idea of game reps, and I think that's going to be something important moving forward for this team. I, I we're not going to get into Marshall. Um, just to kind of give you guys a sneak peek, I guess we are going to do a, probably a podcast later this week, previewing that and, and stuff. So we'll have two podcasts out for you this, this week and maybe no space, but I, some of the weaknesses or some of like the lack of things that went on during this game. I want to see how those are corrected, even against these weaker opponents like Marshall Cal and in North Carolina specifically. Um, is the pass rush going to be effective against specifically teams like Marshall and, and Cal where it shouldn't be a problem. Um, like I almost think Foskey should have, you know, four to five sacks combined in those two games. Um, and if he doesn't, it's because he's setting it up for other guys. Um, or, or Notre Dame's up by so much he's barely playing in the second half, that kind of stuff. But, or is the, how, how much better is Buckner going to look in playing inferior opponents? How, how are the wide receivers going to look? who was going to actually play because that was the other thing I wanted to get to. You know, you didn't see Merriweather, really. You didn't see Wilkins, really. You saw Thomas, but you didn't see him targeted. Uh, Colsey looked like he might've been out with the knee injury and maybe he's back. Um, you know, maybe we see, start seeing Eli in a little bit. Um, so I, I want to see some of these things that we didn't see, not only person, like not only gameplay wise, but personnel wise to get to the point where when we get to Clemson or even BYU before Clemson, they're going to be ready for that moment. And um, I think that's important because I think game reps is everything. We talk about how, you know, I think that was a big thing with Buckner is like, yeah, did he get game reps last year? Sure. But did he get passing game reps? No. So now that he has that under his belt and the moment, like we have said, wasn't too big. What's that going to look like four weeks from now? Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what that outlook is because, I think a lot of people are going to be eating some crow when it comes to specifically Tommy Reese and the offense overall when they kind of get things humming here here soon.
0: Yeah, when i Dame in one of these games, I, I'm pretty confident they're going to win, you know, by 30, 35, maybe 40. I'm curious to see, you know, Freeman's approach to that. Do you keep your foot on the gas when you need your offense to put up points, get guys touchdowns, get guys, like you said, game reps. I think those things are all super important. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see these games that – are supposed to be blowouts for Notre Dame, or at least you know a comfortable win. Uh, how how do they approach that? How long does Buckner stay in? At what point do you start throwing the ball around to freshmen? How many snaps does Merriweather get? You know the, these kind of things. That does your Payne get carries? How does Freeman handle like red shirts? Does he care about it? Is that something you're thinking about, or are you just playing your best guys like Tui Alamaka, for example? We think he's going to be a dude, but is is he even worried about? The red shirt at all? Like, are you, are you just put him out there and you see what happens? I actually don't know if he played. I didn't notice on. Uh, I think he did get snaps. Now that I'm thinking about it against Ohio State, and I think he's yeah, a he better did. starter. So I'd assume that he's gonna burn the red shirt. But uh, I think you you said this a couple weeks ago, and I, I thought it was a good point. Was you know if you're if you have a stud and they're not gonna be there for four or five years anyways right so get the best out of them while you have them so and that that could be very well be the case with Tilly Halamaka so um yeah I'm just kind of rambling here but things I'm excited to see you know in Marshall Cal UNLV these kind of games you know putting up points and uh, getting guys like you said game reps it's uh it's a lot more valuable than just practice time or being on the sideline or whatever getting out there and doing it is completely different
1: Yeah. Just being able to prove to the coaching staff that they can trust you. I think is a big thing too. And then proving it to yourself. Like Jaden Thomas is never going to do anything on the field unless he has the opportunity. And so even though he was on the field, like he's a guy that, you know, you start throwing the ball to him, he makes a play. And then all of a sudden you get to the Clemson game, you know, even though that's the best opponent you're going to play from this Saturday until then, you know, you're looking at a guy that's going to have some confidence. It doesn't really matter who you're playing. So, um, I think that's pretty much all for us today. I know we kind of rambled a little bit and um, just kind of gave our game thoughts and stuff like that. I bring you a shorter episode just because we're going to have another episode for you guys this week. Um, obviously, guys, f- make sure you're following our new our new Twitter platform at Golden Homers. Um, we both run that account. Obviously, follow our personal accounts at Mason Plumber underscore at Nathan underscore Urbach. Gonna plug it again. Make sure you guys are hitting us. <laughs> it's it's funny at this point, but make sure you're contributing. Uh, if you like what you guys are seeing, you can check out um, ways to contribute to our podcast on our Golden Homer's page, um, or you can check out our Venmo accounts on our personal pages. So, um, until Thursday, guys, go Irish!
0: Yeah, if you don't want to hear Nathan talk about it, just send a, send a quick little Venmo. <laughs> don't talk about
1: anymore. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.